She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What is broken about Twitter? I mean, I, I think it really depends on who you follow. There, there's a lot of emphasis today on politics Twitter. And politics Twitter tends to be pretty divisive and it tends to be pretty contentious. And you see a lot of unhealthy debate that you probably want to walk away from. Don't need to hear him saying the N-word to know he's racist. This is the man who's attacking the NFL constantly. This is a man who stands on black people's necks so that he can appear taller to white people. White nationalism and white entitlement were at the basis of his campaign. We don't need any more evidence the jury is in primarily our youth programs aren't designed to facilitate deep meaningful lasting young adult relationships so these young people sort of know about the bible they esteem the bible but they don't necessarily believe that the bible has claim on their lives and now stacy washington Woo! i love those clips at the beginning of the show all right welcome back uh stacy on the right.com's website you can get on there and have some fun. Join our ever-growing list of subscribers. We're so glad that people decide to uh, hand us their email address so we can send them an occasional email. By the way, the list is never sold or bartered away. It's never shared. I'm the only person who has access to it. And the good news about that is that means it's just an email list that you can receive an email from me that has links to the website. Um, it's got nothing more to it. So there's no tracking. There's nothing uh, untoward. It's very simple, actually. <laughs> So the simplicity of it, because I don't know any of that other stuff, which is great for uh, people who decide to subscribe. So head over and do that if you feel so inclined. Right now, I want to get back into the discussion. Well, first off, let's let's go ahead and handle this ESPN thing. And I was really surprised to see them catching on so late, but I guess the pain of losing so many of their paid subscribers to their political agenda has finally hit its nadir. It's just like, they can't they can't handle it anymore. So the story is over at Hot Air. And you know what's funny about this? They just um they they could have done this like a few years ago. So they've been switching off hosts and trying to create a tweak of the mix of of uh the the discussion that they have, but they want to keep politics in it. And Americans don't tune into ESPN for politics. They tune in for sports. They're trying to get away from politics, they're trying to get away from work, they're trying to get away from local and national news. That is why ESPN exists for sports. So they've lost their way, obviously. And their severely atrophied ratings have resulted in uh, the layoffs of significant numbers of their staff and even some TV hosts, like some of their, their on-air talent. Now, social media has been replete. I've seen this for at least three years running where people have been on there tweeting at ESPN, stop covering politics and just do sports. And so they've tried mixing it up and having a variety of sports that they cover, but still covering politics and people are still not hearing it. So now that they have seen that year after year, the ratings are down and the subscribers are down and the, their efforts are not working, they finally decided that they're going to make a change to how they cover the NFL games. What they're going to do is they're going to wait to start broadcasting the game until after the national anthem is played. So if players protest the anthem, viewers are not going to know about it. They will not broadcast it before Monday night's NFL games this season, 
We generally have not broadcasted the anthem, and I don't think that will change this year. Our plan going into this year is not to broadcast the anthem. And this is president of ESPN, Jimmy Pataro. He announced this on Friday. Again, that could change. It's unpredictable what could happen in the world. But as of now, we're not. We have communicated that back to the NFL. They have not asked, but as a courtesy and good partners, we have let them know what our plans are. Now, this is important because it's a reflection of the reality of the situation, which is that ESPN could literally politicize their content to the degree that they cease to be a viable cable channel, that they just go out of business. And now that they realize that things aren't changing in their favor, they're going to have to change. They're making a change. Is it too little too late? Only time will tell. Uh, So let's now get back to an hour one. If you're just tuning into the show, thanks for being here. Stacy on the right.com. During hour one, we were talking about the marriage and family conference held in Tupelo over the weekend. And I was there for day one and it was an amazing opportunity to spend time with people that, you know, it's the people that you do life with, the people you're in Bible study with, the people that your kids, you know, their kids and your kids go to school together or you're in, you know, what, whatever your interaction, they're your coworkers and you get to do life with them. And I like living here uh, in the suburbs of St. Louis and I'm not, you know, I'm not forecasting any moves to Tupelo, but if I could have a crew of people that I would want to raise my kids around and to spend time with in, in my off hours, it would be the other urban family talk hosts and American family hosts. It would. I have not been with them and not enjoyed myself and not been really kind of, they're, they're an awe-inspiring group. And so that would be what I would, but my kids are big now. My, I have the two that are in high school now. So that all is behind me, basically, almost. Uh, but it's nice to see them. They're, they're, Children are younger, so they're all doing life together down in Tupelo, and it's pretty fantastic, if I do say so myself. They got a good thing going. I better not hear anybody complaining. I'm kidding. I never heard them complain. So when we were talking about the Marriage and Family Conference and how wonderful it was, that one of the overarching themes of the conference, because it's about marriage and family, is that the millennials have been, up until just like literally the last Barna Group study update, the most unchurched generation with around... 7% of them claiming to be atheists. And then you have this next group, which is Generation Z, aged 4 to 18, and they actually claim atheism at a rate of 14%, which is unheard of in this country. So why are they leaving the church? And most of the the conversations up until this most recent Barna Group study have been hinging around the idea that they leave church in college, they leave the faith, or they're not as interested in church or religion in college. But the truth is what we're finding out is they're 12 years old. They're not getting their scientific questions answered. The things they're learning in their textbook at school, they go to church on Sunday and they're, they ask questions their parents can't answer it. Their youth group teacher can't answer. And so what happens is they, they, they stop believing. So they're sitting there with their parents, but they can't wait until they get to college so they can stop going to church and believing in all this stuff that's not real. That's a pretty frightening thing. If you're a Christian mom or dad and you're listening to that, you have got to be getting chills and really like feeling like you're going to go into a flop sweat because that's that's pretty scary that your kid would basically be thinking, this is something my parents believe. And they go to church with you, but they don't really, they're not into it. So what do we do about that? Here are some statistics. First of all, it's David Kenneman. He's the president of the Barna Group. He's the author of a couple of different books on this subject. And he is the successor to Mr. Barna, who actually was the founder of the Barna Group. 
And he's brilliant. And so he's explaining the statistics uh, and, and giving us some more insight into this. It's number four. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, it's we did a lot of research for this book. That's what we do at Barna Group is try to understand, you know, people's faith affiliations and kind of how they're thinking about the world and, and sort of their faith journeys. You know, how they how they transition from teen to young adult, from young adult into, you know, established adult. And uh, so we interviewed about 5000 people for this project. And we found that 59% of young adults, 18 to 29, who had, who had grown up in uh, some sort of Christian background, dropped out at some point. So 59%, that's six out of every 10 young people that attend church. Not all of them are going to lose their faith, per se. Uh, many of them are just going to wander. They're going to you know disconnect from institutional forms of church for a period of time. But it was interesting. I was in Pittsburgh, as I said, last week, and there was about two, 3,000 college students that I was speaking to. And most of them fairly committed Christians, a uh, conference called Jubilee. And I asked them, you know, just show of hands, how many of you know somebody who you went to church with or who has wandered away from faith or Christianity as they've grown up? And, and I mean, it seemed like every hand in the whole room went up. So when you talk about millions, here's a sample of 3,000 Christian students. You know, all of them know somebody who has wandered away, who've, who've left their faith, who've, who've been disconnected in some way. It's a huge issue. And um, we need to be able to have some handles on why that's happening. So we do need to know why it's happening. And we need to understand that because God has tasked us as parents to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so when your child leaves home and they're no longer a Christian, it's a feeling of failure on the part of the parents and they want to do something about it. And obviously, you know, it's prayer, fasting, you know, getting together with a group of moms and praying for these kids, that's something we should be doing anyway. But especially if we're seeing a child who's kind of, you know, maybe prodigal or maybe they're, they're still religious, they still believe in God, but they're not actually going to church. That's something that we need to be actively involved in helping our young adult children cope with. And so it's not that children leave the house and we disconnect. And I know that's not the case. Most people are still very heavily involved in their children's lives, whether they're in college or or off working or what have you, but it's not the end. It's not a death sentence. If your child has, as in this situation, you don't have to feel hopeless. There's a, there's a way back. And so then he talks a little bit more about why they're leaving the church because they ask them, this is what I love about the Barna group. They actually went through and asked these these, these young adults, why, what is, why do you feel this way? And they had some interesting answers. Part of the big project goal was to figure out some of those questions. And, you know, in some ways we've spent the last four years doing it and I feel like we've got some really good information. And in some ways I feel like we're just scratching the surface as to understanding this because it's such a deep and, and, and complicated problem. But when we interviewed people who had dropped out, um, we found that there were a lot of different things that they were sort of complaints or issues or challenges that they had had. You know, we talk about um, the fact that they feel the church is overprotective. So in relation to culture, they feel like they've got to choose between being a Christian and watching, you know, R-rated films or, or you know, uh, engaging in culture and then the church being overprotective. They feel the church is shallow, that it's that their experience of God is missing from church. They feel the church is anti-science. They say the church is doubtless, that there's not a safe place for them to admit their most pressing life questions. They say that the church is exclusive, that you know they don't understand that sometimes the exclusive message of Christ, that, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that they have to choose between their faith and their friends. 
and they say that the church is repressive sexually, like that it's it's traditionalist and that it keeps them from uh, living um, lives sexually as well as they should, uh, or that it's out of step with the, the sexual mores of our time. So it's it's a broad range of issues. Woo! So that's some tough, tough love right there. First of all, that they can't express doubt. So anytime someone is experiencing doubt, obviously that's an attack of the enemy, but our response can't be that we just come in with a bu- biblical platitude. Oh, that's an attack of the enemy. You know, to, uh, push, push that feeling out. Take every thought captive. Yes, we are to take every thought captive, but how about examining the doubt itself? How about saying, well, what are your doubts? Like, what, what, is, what is it that you're struggling with? Can we talk about that? And then instead of trying to cut them off and just give them every Bible verse you've ever memorized, just sit and listen to what the person is saying. Even if it's your child or your spouse and you're afraid, you feel that fear creeping in like, oh my goodness, backsliding, alert, alert. Zip it. Sit down. Calm down. Listen. Hear what they're saying to you. And then find some fact-based information that you can come back with. Someone who's rooted and grounded in biblical truth, who's also writing books that address this particular type of doubt. One thing we're not taking advantage of and as Christians in this modern era is the amount of information out there that supports the Bible, that supports the things that we know to be true. And if we believe it and we have faith surrounding it and we're, we're rock solid, it doesn't mean that we can't learn more in order to help someone who's not rock solid, who's having doubts, to shore those up so that they can stay with the faith. God wouldn't have us practicing a faith, being disciples of a Lord that couldn't be quantified, that we just can't explain. That's not his way. He's orderly. He has all of these things out there for us to learn, but we got we to gotta seek it out. We have to be willing to search for that information. And if we are, we're going to find a wealth of knowledge and, and there's so much beauty in the intelligence of the design that has been laid out for us by God. It is just awesome. Uh, so I'll give you a few of those resources when we get back. I'm going to grab a couple of those books off my shelf and, and share them with you. Don't get mad if you see me holding up books. We're not going to be actually reading from them. We're just going to talk about them. Um, and also when we get back, we're going to listen to Torre say that the entirety of American uh, white, the, the, the whole country is white supremacist. Just the whole country. Everybody is white supremacy everywhere you look. That's Torre. We'll be right back with more. Hi, I'm Will Addison, and we are partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Last week, just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and heard that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her, and she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in the womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Underwrite a free ultrasound and help save a baby's life. Go to preborn.com. 
That's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. What started out as a slogan and bumper sticker has essentially become a platform of one political party. I'm talking about the call to abolish ICE. ICE stands for the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. In some respects, the call to abolish ICE is not new. Fifteen years ago, you can find some activists calling for the dismantling of ICE because they perceived that the agency violated civil rights. But the call to abolish ICE has new energy because some Democrats are trying to move the party further to the left. By the way, we aren't just talking about self-described socialists like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Many Democrats who will be running for the presidency in two years also call for the abolishing of ICE. That is why it's likely that this idea will make its way into the Democratic platform. Republican candidates around the country have seized on this political slogan in order to paint their Democratic opponents as extreme. It is likely that the Abolish Ice slogan may indeed hurt some of the candidates in the midterm elections, especially when some in the Democratic Party compare immigration officials to the Nazi secret police. But Republicans might also want to be prepared to answer some important questions. If you think the idea of abolishing ICE is such a bad idea, why have so many Republican candidates called for the abolition of the IRS as well as the abolition of the Departments of Energy, Education and Commerce? I think there are good answers to such questions, but they better be prepared if they want to ridicule the idea of abolishing ICE. Democrats in the House and Senate are preparing how they would go about abolishing ICE once they flip the House and Senate to Democratic control. Of course, this presupposes that Democrats take both the House and the Senate, but first we'll have to see if the slogan helps them take control of Congress. It's possible the slogan may cause them to lose elections. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. I Listen, I so this is one of the fantastic things about living in a house where I have a bunch of readers, and that is that they're readers, and it's fantastic. The bad thing is I can't leave a book anywhere without some kid moving it, and then I can't find it. So the book that I want to show you, there's two of them that we bought when Dr. Hugh Ross came to town. He was in town. He visited our church. In fact, he's going to be back here for a conference in September at our church, all about science and creationism and and just so much fantasticness. Well, I left two Hugh Ross books over on the bookshelf over there, and now they're gone, which means that some Washington kid has those books in their bedroom and they're reading them. This happens around here. But lucky for me, the Internet is real. And so I can tell you, Hugh Ross is one of the preeminent experts on science and Christianity. He's a Canadian Christian apologist and old earth creationist. He obtained his PhD in astrophysics from the University of Toronto. He has a Bachelor of Science degree in physics from the University of British Columbia. And he has reasons to believe. And um, reasons to believe is actually a discussion group that that has chapters all over the United States that you can join in your local area and learn uh, about these difficult topics from experts. And then you can also read his books, The Creator and the Cosmos, Beyond the Cosmos, Creation and Time, Hidden Treasures in uh, the Book of Job, Who Was Adam, 
creation as science, the fingerprint of God, a matter of days, more than a theory. Um, the Genesis question, honestly, he wrote all these books. I'm going on. Um, why the universe is the way that it is, the creator and the cosmos, fingerprint of God, paternity, lights in the sky and little green men, the origins of life, and an improbable planet. And um, so that's an impressive list of books. And so why am I pointing you to books? Well, for our kids who they're able to, any question they want answered, they need only type it into Google and all of these answers come up. And then if they want to see someone talk to them about it, they can click video and YouTube videos will drop down that they can choose from someone who's their own age, someone who's older, someone who's an academic, someone who's self-taught. And so they're used to anything that a person in their life can't answer, they can get the answer online. And so they don't understand this dichotomy where adults in their life will say, you know, God is real and we can see the evidence of him everywhere. And they say, why? What is it? And then you say, just have faith and believe. We have to be able to quantify it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that Hugh Ross is the only person that you can consult with, but I like to give a resource when I'm talking about a topic and saying the answers are out there. And I just so happen to have heard him speak in person on two occasions at our church. And after he gives a talk at church, he does Q&A afterwards. So at our church, we have three services every weekend, and he'll do the Q&A at the 6, 6 p.m. service on Saturday, the 9 a.m. on Sunday, and then the 11 a.m. So by the 11 a.m., you would think, ah, oh, he's probably pretty tired. Nope, not at all. And when he does the Q&A, some people actually stand up, and they look so sweet with their little church clothes on, or they're like millennials, so they're dressed casual, but they're still chic. And then they'll ask him a question. Sometimes I'm sitting there like, are these students in astrophysics? Like, what did he just ask? And Hugh Ross will say, that's an interesting question. Are you referring to blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah? And then they'll, they'll clarify, and then he'll say, well, well, first of all, for those of you who are not aware of what such and so-and-so is, and then he'll explain what it is in lay terms for all of us regular people, and then he'll answer their question. This man is a preeminent expert, and it has been my privilege as just you know a regular chick who goes to church to be able to you know, just look at my bulletin. Oh, next week, Hugh Ross is going to be here talking again. So it has been a real pleasure to have that opportunity. And so I just encourage you, first of all, you can go to his website and find out when he's speaking. He speaks at churches. So you can invite him to speak at your church. But if none of that works for you, you can just buy the books. The book that matches up with the topic that your child has questions on or that you might have questions on and equipping ourselves, then we are able to better defend the faith. And that is being truly a discipleship, a, a disciple of God, of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ who is rightly dividing the word and able to give an answer whenever someone asks why we believe what we believe. Now I want to pivot over to, uh, and and we're going to talk about this more, um, you know, the, the young people leaving the church and what we can do about it. A part of this program that is really important to me is what we do as parents and how we can encourage each other and support each other as parents and, and you know, having husbands, having wives, um, you know, supporting our spouses, having that biblical worldview. We'll be back with this topic again. And my hope is, I'll just go ahead and share. My hope is that we may be able to have someone from the Barna Group on the program to answer some of our questions about this study. And that would be a real privilege. So we'll work on that as well. Oh, and I forgot to mention in hour one, spread the news, Wednesday, Ann Coulter. That's right, Ann dot Coulter 
dot. Yes, she has a new book coming out and she's going to come on our program and talk to us about her new book. And then I'm going to talk to her about some, some, she's written so many things. I don't know how I'm going to get it all in, but I have some amazing questions for her. And I know she's going to be just stellar. She, cause I, I met her once way back in 2012, I have to tell you. And she's just as tall and just as thin as she looks on TV. It's just pretty amazing. So anyway, she's going to be on the show on Wednesday. So let's pivot now and listen to, really, this is just a bunch of nonsense, but you have to be aware of what they're saying in order to be able to rebut that. And there's a simple answer to Torre's problem here about basically believing that the entirety of America is a white supremacist country. Part of what I hear is part of why black people are not uh, dealing with the GOP at this point. He's talking about that we are obsessed with race, right? And he has this colorblind approach that everybody will rise. And we know that's not the case, right? This is a white supremacist country, and we have to deal with that every day in everything, in how we relate to the police and how we relate to jobs and how we relate to the criminal justice system, in everything. And when you talk about we are obsessed with race, what we hear is, I don't want to deal with race. I want to not talk about it. You should not talk about it. Yeah, that's the sound of me sipping a little bit of water while I just, um, the inanity there was just too much for me to handle. Too much for me to handle. I can't get over how often this man tries to condemn every single American for the sins of a very small group of Americans who happen to be racist. And the way he tries to paint the entirety of our police force in this country, a million officers in local police departments across this country with a billion interactions a year with Americans, and he tries to paint them as racist, every last one of them. How could they all be racist? With a million of them, wouldn't there just be carnage everywhere? I mean, it would just be a bloodbath if all police officers were rabidly anti-black and anti-women and anti-everything else. Just would be. It's so improbable. It defies explanation. So, all right, let's go to the phones. We have Keith in Michigan. Thanks for calling the show. Hi. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say, as soon as you switch over to my phone, uh, your voice gets really quiet, so I'm sorry if I can't hear you. Oh, okay. I'll try to speak up. Okay. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, a couple of things. There's a lot of the people that I'm thinking about on the liberal side of things is that sometimes, you know, if their brain was dynamite, they wouldn't have enough to blow their nose. <laughs> but uh, the uh, my my thinking about the science side of things, I'm very scientific. I was going to college to get a physics. I was getting a degree in physics, eventually got it in mathematics very logical in thinking, very scientific in mind. And it's because of that science, because of that background of math and biology and everything, solidified my understanding and belief into God. There's a book that I read when I was a kid from Josh McDowell. It's called um, Questions That Skeptics Answer. And he had a couple of really short books, and one of them had to deal with there is this isotope that has a half-life of less than a half a second. 
That means it's here and gone. In less than a second, it's here and gone. And yet they were able to find these isotopes frozen, mind you, frozen in solid rock. How could that be? If, if rock takes hours, days, and weeks for a lava to solidify into a rock, mm-hmm. so how could a rock be created and solidify and become solid in less than a second, unless, of course, it was created out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just little mm-hmm. things like that and little experiments that have come up with, and it's like there is no other explanation other than a creator. You look at the, at the, um, at the cell of a body. I looked at of a human being's body in the cell. Um, I looked at all the chemistry and everything that happens. It is very confusing, very, excuse me, very complicated. And there's there's the law of entropy, meaning that everything everything goes down to the lowest level, lowest energy level. Things are not naturally built up. Things are built down. That is the law of entropy. And if wow. something is built out of a, goo, a piece of goo, there's no way that it can build up into something that's very complicated. And it's like science just proves that there is a God. And so I, what, when I hear you talking about this and you're so calm and reasonable, you don't sound like a kook or somebody who does, you know, I, I practice science, but it's a special kind of science. And over and over again, we've heard people with scientific backgrounds, with mathematical backgrounds, talk about the proofs that exist within creation that point to an intelligent designer you know, i.e. a creator. But we don't take that information as Christians and we don't blast it out of the pulpit and we don't teach it to our kids because the public schools aren't going to teach it to the kids. So I'm, is it easy to understand? I mean, the way you under, you just explained it sounded pretty easy for me to understand. Can we explain this to our kids to prevent them from believing that Christianity can't be proven by science? Oh, we might not have him anymore. Listen, I... No, no, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I could barely hear what your question was. What, what was that again? So the question is, can we teach what you just shared with me, the information, the information from the book, can we teach that to our kids so they don't have to feel like they're, I got to leave Christianity because it's not provable by science? Well, the thing, the thing about it is, though, every child learns differently. And that's the thing that we do is that we homeschool our kids. And every child I've learned, that there are like 600 different types of curriculums out there just to teach children a way to learn. And every child is different. Some are very logical, like me. I'm very logical. I'm, I'm theoretically science-founded, geeky person. And so what coming to me on a very scientific basis I go, oh, yeah, okay, I understand. There are some kids that are just completely artistic, and it takes all to be a, a um, what do you call it, a, just a productive member of a, the Christian body. It takes all types of kinds. So everybody learns differently. So some people have to learn by um, an artistic way a very free thinking way and the other people think about on a scientific way. So it's, everybody learns differently. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for calling in today and and, uh, for adding your expertise and knowledge to this conversation. I really appreciate talking to you, Keith. I got to say, when I'm listening to him talk about that, that makes total sense to me. And there's there's a way for us to go about doing this, to having these conversations, especially with our kids, so they can know that this isn't some mumbo jumbo that we're just reading from this phantasmagorical book that's full of these weird tales and it just can't all be true and we just believe it because we're old. That's not what we need to be teaching our kids. Also, we're not old, okay? I'm just saying. So um, what I want to do is I want to, get maybe get a list of these resources together and have that someplace at stacyontheright.com so we can have a place to go to to find the resources and also to point others to so they can use the the buffet of information that's out there to shore up what their kids believe. In fact, the truth project. I just realized I took that Bible study with a bunch of my uh, just uh, well some I knew but mostly a bunch of women that I didn't know. Uh it was a wonderful Bible study. That is a Bible study I need to get that book. Now, I'm pretty sure I know where that book is. It's over there on the bookshelf in the corner. I believe it's still there unless a kid has moved it. But I will find the other Hugh Ross books so I can show you the couple of them that we bought at our church when he came to speak. And um, to make sure that you have like just I can give you some of the information from the books. And, and they were great. Fantastic. Um, so we'll we'll share that. I just have to locate the books. Obviously, they're here somewhere. Um And then when we get back, we're going to be talking about the Blame America First Democrats and this astronomical number of babies who were born alive after botched abortions in Canada. And then these Canadians just left the babies to die. I mean, this is just unbelievable. This is where liberals think we should be with abortion. And then, of course, we'll take your calls. Uh, We're at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Oh, and a shout out to... The people that I met this weekend at the conference. It was so cool meeting people that have called into the show or have uh, been in the Churbin or one of the chat rooms on one of the streams that we have. And then to meet them in person, it was like, it was just great. It was awesome. Um, it was really my pleasure to do that. So uh, we will have more on that and, and other great things when we get back from the break. StacyOnTheRight.com is a website, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. You can also go to AFR.net. That's a good place for you to be. And we'll be back with more right after this. Here's what you missed on airing the Addisons. I remember talking to um, a Muslim friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, many, many years ago in college, and, and he was from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. But I remember being surprised as he was talking about the Christian that lived next door to his family. The Christian. Mm. Now, you have to reverse your brain here. You have to reverse your brain. Because he said, he said, yeah, there's a Christian woman um, that lives next door to us. You know, she's very nice, you know. And he said, but she probably won't be Christian long because our family's working on her. <laughs> isn't that interesting? Like, isn't that something? And and I remember being like, uh, but she has the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, she has the truth. And, and 
But it, but there was this thing of like, yeah, we're just like, you know, we're just living nicely next to her. And it was sort of like how Christians do. We're just being an example and, and we believe we're going to win her, he said. Airing the Addisons, 6 to 9 Central on Urban Family Talk. We kind of take it too lightly yeah. when we talk about people's eternities. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Normative behavior is defined by Reference.com as the standard of correctness that follows the rules of society. Who or what governs what is normal in society and how we treat each other? News stories show a fraying in what is considered normal. Let's face it, our norms are under attack. We now regularly see elected officials call for violent protests, and the word resist has become a clarion call for uncivil behavior. It is not normal to harass people in public, period. It is not normal to incite violence against people that we disagree with. It's not normal to react to the truth with violence. Degrading our norms can only progress if we allow it. And make no mistake about it, each of us has a choice on whether or not to join the mob. Stand firm in refusing to allow the destruction of our norms by speaking the truth in love. If that is rebuffed, shake the dust from your feet. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Donald Trump's America. The president returned Sunday to the White House from some time away in New Jersey. He faced a weekend of reaction via Twitter to his counsel, Don McGahn, speaking to special counsel Robert Mueller. The president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, on Fox's Sunday Morning Futures, said McGahn said nothing wrong about the president. And we're confident because the man is a man of integrity and he would have resigned if something uh, like that had happened. The president also dealing with some intelligence community criticism over revoking the security clearance of ex-CIA director John Brennan, who said on NBC's Meet the Press that he will be the face of opposition to this White House. If that's the price we're going to pay to prevent Donald Trump from doing this against other people, to me it's a small price to pay. Today, the president puts border security back on the front burner at the White House, leading a ceremony in the East Room honoring ICE and Border Patrol agents for their work. Gernal Scott, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. There's some things that are savagely wrong in this country. There is something fundamentally immoral and wrong about a nation in which we have three people who own more wealth than the bottom half of the American people. There's a normalcy of injustice that we've accepted. And from mass incarceration to money bail to policing, our criminal justice system has failed. Let's speak truth. Let's just start with the hard truth about our criminal justice system. It's racist. I mean, I mean front to back. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward, and his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. <laughs> yeah, those, that was a Blame America First Democrats mashup. And uh, what was so funny about that is that Cuomo, that last clip you heard, he actually had to walk that back. You know, he comes from an immigrant family. And it, it's not true that we're all immigrants, like all Americans are not immigrants. I know I'm not descended from immigrants on one side of my family. I'm descended from slaves. And you can hardly call slavery immigration. Uh, on the other side, yeah, I'm descended from immigrants. Uh, so, I mean, what does it matter? What matters is that people who are here want to be Americans and that 
people who are here appreciate this country. Yeah, we have freedom of speech, but what kind of point are you making by saying that you want to run to be the president of the United States? Cuomo, he's considering a 2020 presidential run, and you don't think we've ever been great. Then why would you want to be the president of something that had never been great? You basically have disqualified yourself from consideration with your statement. Yeah, that's why he's walking it back. So that's the blame America first Democrats. Blame America for everything bad. Never say anything good about this country, even though you're swanning around in private jets, living the high life, complaining because three people are richer than the rest of the 50 bottom percent. Okay. Even if you confiscate all their money, is that going to make the bottom 50 percent richer or is it behaviors? Is it choices that are being made? Look at Rahm Emanuel. Last week, he said that the reason why we're not having any traction on reducing murders in Chicago is because there's a morality issue in that community. Well, he's not wrong. Now, he's not going to get any credit for it because he's a Democrat and they're not allowed to tell the truth about which communities or which groups of people have better behavior than others because morality is about choices that are being made. You choose to be morally upright or you choose not to be morally upright. It's not something that you it's it's out of your control. It is well within your control whether or not you operate as a moral individual. And this is a decision we all have to make decisions thousands of decisions on a daily basis as to whether or not we're going to be moral, to tell the truth, to work hard, to choose to work instead of watching TV or stealing or or or, or shooting people. Some of it is that simple. Uh, others of it is really yeah, everybody watches TV. Even those people who tell you they don't watch TV, they watch it. Come on. It's about how much TV do you watch and what are you watching when you're watching it? How is the TV that you're watching shaping what you believe about your surroundings or whatever the topic is on television? Or an even bigger question, are you watching TV when you could be doing something else to grow your mind and your knowledge base so that you could do something more with yourself, you could improve your situation? Two people, one person watches television a lot, the other person reads lots of books and realizes they have an affinity for something and decides to, instead of reading books for free, to pay to go get an education somewhere, and five years later, one has a bachelor's degree and is now earning 60000 a year, and the other one is still watching television. Is that a condemnation on watching TV? No. It's just a statement of fact that lots of people in the bottom 50% of this country have been people that have watched more television than have read books. Does that mean they're bad people? No, but it doesn't mean that the people who have read, the statistic is that people who own businesses read a minimum of 52 books a year. The other statistic is that the wealthier person is, and this is statistics, not something I'm making up, that the wealthier person is, the more likely they are to have an Audible account where they listen to books on CD on their commute to and from work, increasing the number of books that they can read because their target is a minimum of four books a month. Some people couple those things together. They're in investment clubs, book clubs, so that they're reading books and listening to them on Audible CD so they can increase and have even more knowledge flowing in. Some of them, the the reading is not so much books, but it's newspapers because they're reading the investment sections of all of the major newspapers and they're reading up prospectuses and things, background information on companies doing research because they want their investments to be sound. Regardless of that, when Rahm Emanuel makes these statements about the morals of the people who are living in the parts of the city that are most plagued by crime, 
He's not wrong. The people there don't actually cooperate with the police to apprehend the people who are doing the shootings. With no repercussions, with no uh, enforcement against shootings, the number of people who engage in shootings when they're just angry at someone, drive by their house and shoot in their, the, the direction of their home, shooting innocent bystanders, that number goes up. And every time someone gets away with it, it encourages other people to do the same thing. So whether or not a person is shooting people or not, if they know of someone who's committed a crime or if they, if they have evidence that they've not turned in and shared with the police, that is an immoral act and they are participating in the increase in crime that's going on in their community. This is hard conversation because most people don't want to hear that. Everyone in the inner city is an innocent victim. No one's doing all the shootings. It's the police's fault. That's what you hear. But that can't be right. It can't be right that everyone in the inner city is innocent. It's also not accurate that everyone in the inner city is a criminal. There's a mix. Statistics show that it's about 20 to 22 percent of the people living in that community that are actually doing all of the crime. So if you cooperate with the police to get that 22 percent out of your midst, you're probably going to see a reduction in crime. I learned an interesting fact today uh, on it's on another subject, but it's kind of instructive about the in, incidence of crime in major cities where there is an NRA convention. When the NRA convention comes to town about three weeks before its arrival, the crime rate takes a dive and there is less crime for the three weeks leading up to the convention and the entire week of the NRA convention. And then the crime returns to a normal rate after the NRA convention leaves town. So why do you think that is? Because a bunch of law-abiding, gun-owning people come into town, 87, 85,000, somewhere in that neighborhood every single year for the NRA convention. And you can track it. Every city that hosts it has a reduction in crime for about a month, and then it goes back up to its normal level. What is that telling you? That criminals understand cause and effect, and they know that law-abiding people who are trained to own firearms and carry them are going to be unwilling targets. They're much more likely to be shot or killed if they commit a crime during that time. So they don't. So that tells us that moral behavior and individuals who are seen as being expert at defending themselves and capable can have a positive impact on the crime rate making the crime rate lower. So in inner city communities, when, when Rahm Emanuel says, well, we've got low morals in these areas, it, it's, it's unfortunate that he's never taken the time to really expound on that and talk about it more, but his ideology has been much more important to him. And now people are starting to look at his results and say, he's a horrible mayor. And so he's there, therefore a horrible person for saying the truth, which is, if you don't want to cooperate with the police and the authorities to apprehend the criminals, then you're going to have high crime. But saying that's like, you know, racist or something. It's not something that you should be allowed to say. I think it's ridiculous. I think you should absolutely not only be allowed to say it, but that you should be forced to deal with the consequences of, um, you know, you've got fatherlessness, you've got kids running around who they they cannot read and do math on grade level because the school system is below par and their parents aren't pouring into them. That's something else that was shared uh, during the the conference. And I know, like I've talked about so many books this episode, but this is the book that I'm pr presently working on that I'm reading. And obviously, bucket list item for Stacey Washington is I want to interview Thomas Sowell. I mean, he is, he's one of the people I admire most in this country for his prodigious brain. It is just amazing. 
Well, in this book, they talk a little bit about the number of words that are spoken to children. And so studies show that 30% of children entering the kindergarten year, their their first year of, of formal education, that kids from affluent households have heard 30,000 words by the time they enter kindergarten. And kids from poverty-stricken households have heard about 5,000 words. So here's the quote from the book from Thomas Sowell. Children of parents with professional occupations have been found to hear 2,100 words per hour, while children from working-class families hear 1,200 words per hour. Children from families on welfare hear 600 words per hour. Other studies suggest that there are also qualitative differences in the manner of parent-child interactions in different social classes. In other words, some of these households are more moral than others. Well, how is speaking words to kids moral? It's the attention that's being paid to the kids. And we're not talking about just barking orders at kids. It's about time and care in the interaction. And so you might say, well, the, the parents are in the affluent households. There's a mom who stays home. Well, if you're in a poverty-stricken household and the mom is at home on welfare, receiving welfare for the kids, she's at home too. So there's an opportunity for her to speak words to the kids. Even without a stellar education, look at Ben Carson's mom. She couldn't even read. She would sit with the newspaper in her lap and just run her fingers across so her kids would see her reading because she wanted them to think she could read so they would want to read too. This isn't about having a certain knowledge base. It's about doing whatever it takes to increase the knowledge base of your kids so that they're not caught in that fourth grade, reading below grade level, doing math below grade level so that the prison system is creating a bed for them somewhere in your state because they know they're going to be in prison. So I wish more more individuals would be willing to listen to wise counsel, whether it comes from Rahm Emanuel when he finally gets something right or when it comes from experts like Thomas Sowell and Star Parker and others who have spoken about this extensively about the impact of, um, you know, the amount of words that you speak to your kids, the, the teaching them their letters and their numbers while they're still in preschool, um, reading to them, spending time with them, focusing on them and, and their, their, their well-being, just parenting them. And it's not outside of what you can do. Just because someone is poor doesn't mean that they can't treat their children in a way that would improve their educational prospects. It's just not true that, that the only people who are able to do that are affluent women in the suburbs. It's just not true. So um, a couple of other um, news items. And I just, I was, I, I was really surprised by... Uh, over the weekend, I just was like, I got back from the conference and I unplugged. I did not plug back in until today. And I felt amazing. But I, you know how it is when you travel, you just, you get to a place where you're just exhausted from the travel. And I did, there were no direct flights. And so I had to do, I went through Dallas on the way back and just, I was just, all weekend long. I have been bumping into people that I know and I'm so disoriented from traveling and so exhausted. That I don't even recognize the people. So I'm like looking at them and they're like, Stacy. I'm like, oh, Oh, hello. I I think I gave all my energy on Friday. Um, So let's talk about this definitive list of all the violent rhetoric. We just have a couple minutes left in the show. All the violent rhetoric, anti-Trump attacks and harassment this year. And this is a full list. 
So Amber Athey of The Daily Caller, who's been on this program before, she's a fantastic media and breaking news editor, has this list. And I mean, it's just fantastic. And some of the stuff I can't read on the air here, but suffice it to say, and please don't get offended. We're all adults. I'm, I'm sharing with you what is what is the list of all this violent rhetoric and attacks that have been leveled against Donald Trump and people who may support him. And this is just to show you that there is no when they go low, we go high. There is no high on the political left. CNN guest Rick Wilson, this is on January 12th, threatens to gut a Trump supporter like a fish. On March 15th, Capitol Police arrest Democratic operative for assaulting a female Interior Department communications official. April 28th, comedian Michelle Wolf jokes about Kellyanne Conway getting stuck under a tree. May 3rd, CNN's April Ryan jokes about getting into a street fight with Sarah Sanders, and she wonders why she doesn't get called on. May 8th, a woman charged with a felony reckless endangerment for trying to run Representative David Kustoff, Republican from Tennessee, and an aide off the road. I reported on that then, too. 5.11, MSNBC's Nicole Wallace suggests that she would wring Sarah Sanders' neck. June 18th, Stephen Miller is called a fascist while eating at a Mexican restaurant, which is a little bit weird the way he constantly eats at Mexican restaurants. Like, that's weird. June 20th, Kirsten Nielsen is driven out of a Mexican restaurant. 622, Red Hen restaurant owner refuses to serve Sarah Sanders. And by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this. A lot of people were laughing and chuckling because Michelle Wolf, her show on Netflix has been canceled. Apparently, she really was not funny at all. Anyway, people are saying her show was aborted. Oh, some people are savages. (laughs) All right. That's the program. We'll be back with you tomorrow with more news and information. It's going to be a fantastic program. We'll have Brigitte Gabriel, president of actforamerica.org, on the program tomorrow. God bless and have a fantastic evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.